If you could please turn to John chapter 18. John chapter 18, flip to, scroll to, press John chapter 18. By the way, if you're new, not just to Thrive, but you're new to church generally, maybe you've never been to church before, maybe you come from a completely different faith background, maybe you're just kind of curious, just kind of exploring what this Jesus stuff in the Bible is all about, we're so thrilled that you're here. And we hope you make yourself right at home and find that this is a safe place for you, a place where you can explore your questions, a place where you can find community, a place where you can find some hope to help you as you start the week. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome to Thrive Church. We're doing a series here at Thrive. It's called Find Your Life Again. And the reason why we call the series Find Your Life Again is because maybe over the past couple years during the course of this pandemic, you feel like maybe, just maybe, you've lost something. That as strong as you've tried to be, as strong as you've tried to be for your family, for the people that you love, that if you have to be really honest with yourself, maybe you've lost some hope about the future. Maybe you've lost some direction. You don't really know what to do with your life anymore. Maybe you've lost some faith. Some stuff has happened to you or some conversations you've had have caused you to really doubt the stuff you used to believe in. Or maybe you've lost some joy. You're just not as happy as you used to be. Maybe you've lost someone you love and you're trying to pick up the pieces of your life again. How do you pick up the pieces of your life and find your life again when you've lost something? big. That's what we're talking about in the series called Find Your Life Again. And the biggest key we're talking about is that if you want to find your life again, it's not just about your hard work. It's not just about your good luck. But even more than that, it's about experiencing Jesus. Because over and over, the Bible describes Jesus as the life. Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. Over and over, the Bible connects Jesus with life. And so if what the Bible says is true, and Jesus is the life, then that means that if you want to find your life again, you need to experience Jesus. And so that's what we're doing in this series called Find Your Life Again. We are discovering, and maybe in some cases, rediscovering who Jesus is through the very powerful, very beloved, very famous book called The Gospel of John written by one of Jesus' earliest disciples. His name is John. And what we're doing is not just on Sundays, but actually every day. Everyone say every day. Every day, we're actually looking at the Gospel of John together. And if you want to get in on that, you can go to mythrob.info, subscribe for Pastor JB's game time sharing. What we'll do is every morning, we'll send you a little email with a passage from the Gospel of John that you can read. And you really, if you're not really sure what to learn from that, you can always look at some of the thoughts that I share in that email to hopefully encourage you to discover Jesus in a fresh way. And so encourage you to do that. Are you guys ready for today's episode of Find Your Life Again? Let's get into it right here, right now. See, since it's Father's Day, I thought I'd share with you something I received for Father's Day this past week. I've got two sons. My younger son, his name is Caleb. He's four years old almost, and he loves art. And so I want to show you what he made for me for Father's Day, which he presented to me just a few days ago. You guys ready? Here it is. This is supposed to be a portrait of me, Okay. Now, I don't know how much you think this looks like me. I don't know if my hair is normally this frizzy, but I think maybe he was going for the I just woke up my dad at 4 a.m. look, perhaps. Uh, but one thing I'm very pleased about is that unlike most photos of me online that you'll see, is that you can actually see my eyes in this picture. Look at that. Isn't that kind of nice? Oh, praise God. Praise God for that. Well, see, why, why do I show you this work of art that was supposed to look like me? It's because, believe it or not, the Bible says that you are a work of art. You know, here we are in an art gallery, what's normally an art gallery from Monday to Friday, what's filled with works of art. But on Sunday morning, it's especially an art gallery. It's especially filled with works of art because you are God's work of art. 
And not only are you God's work of art, but you were made not just to be God's masterpiece, but you were made to look like Jesus. And when it comes to experiencing Jesus, we are talking about how it's more than just seeing a miracle happen in your circumstances. Experiencing Jesus is more than just, you know, feeling the presence of God when you're with other people at church. But experiencing Jesus is about learning to look more like Jesus. It's this idea that the more you think the way that Jesus thinks, the more you see your situation, the way that Jesus sees your situation, the more you feel the way that Jesus feels, the more you live and make decisions the way that Jesus lives and make decisions, guess what happens? The more you start looking like Jesus and the more you start to look like Jesus and experience Jesus in this inside out kind of way, the more you experience the hope that Jesus has. The more you experience the joy that Jesus brings, the more you experience the peace that Jesus promises, the more you experience the purpose that Jesus gives, and the more you find your life again. And see, what's the key to looking like Jesus? If each and every one of us, we are works of art that were made to look like Jesus, then what's the key to looking more like Jesus? Let me tell you what I told you last week. The more you look at Jesus, the more you'll look like Jesus is that the more you fix your eyes on Jesus, the more you find it starts to change you from the inside out. Just like take any person in your life that you admire, any person that you even dislike, you're gonna find this happening, is the more you focus on that person, the more you, you know, focus and look at that person and concentrate on that person, the more it starts to affect you in ways that you don't even intend. And you start to become like that person that you admire, even like that person that you said you'd never be like. It's because you're focusing on that. The more you look at someone, the more you're, you, you, that you become like that, same with Jesus. The more you look at Jesus, the more you'll look like Jesus. And that's why last week in John chapter 17, we looked at how Jesus prayed and we learned some things about who Jesus is. Today, we're gonna get into the next chapter, John chapter 18. And we're not gonna look at how Jesus prayed. We're gonna look at how Jesus led. And it's because, how many you know, Jesus Christ is often considered, both from Christian and non-Christian perspectives, he's often considered to be the greatest leader who ever lived. No one has made an impact on this world like Jesus has. So much so that history is split in two because of Jesus Christ. Now, in case you didn't know, you are a leader. You might not think of yourself as a leader. You might not want to be looked at as a leader, but the fact is you are a leader. If you're a dad in this place on Father's Day, I'm here to remind you, you are a leader for your family. If you're a mom, you are a leader for your family as well. Maybe you're not a mom or a dad, but you are a member of your family. Guess what? In your own way, you are a leader as well for your school, for your workplace, for the team that you're on. You and I, we are all leaders. And how many know that leadership is not about a position? Leadership is not about a title, but leadership is about influence. It's about impacting people with what we do and say. And as someone who's made in the image of God, you are a leader. You have been given gifts. You've been given passions. You've been given abilities. You've been given a personality and you've given experiences by which God made you to impact and influence others. And so whether you like it or not, you are a leader. Would you turn to him and say, I'm looking at a leader. I'm looking at a leader. That's the truth. And see, the question is not, are you a leader? The question is, what kind of leader are you? Are you a good leader or are you not a good leader? See, your leadership matters. Every single day, you are using your influence and you are, whether you know or not, you are impacting the people around you with your leadership, whether for good or for bad. And so today, since you're a leader, since you were made to impact people, today we're going to learn six things that made Jesus such a great leader. 
And we're gonna learn these things because these are the same things that we wanna do more and more if we wanna make the most of our influence and be the most effective leaders we can for our family, our home, our church, our community. And so let's get into it right now. Today, the message is called Lead Like Jesus. Let's look at it today. John chapter 18, verse one. We're gonna take it bit by bit today. When he had finished saying these things, read it with me, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. See, stop right there. What's going on? It's Passover season, y'all. What's happening in Jesus' time? It is Passover season. It's the time when all over Judea, Jewish people are flocking to one place. It's called Jerusalem, the biggest city of all Judea. They're there for the feast of the Passover. It's during this time that they remember how God spared their firstborn sons by killing a lamb whose blood took their place. And so they eat this meal, this Passover meal that commemorates that. They eat lamb, they eat unleavened bread, this idea that you take away the sins from the people and not coincidentally, it's also the night that Jesus is getting ready to die. He's going to die just a few hours after what we're reading today. And see, Jesus, he knows that his hour has come. Over and over, he's been proclaiming what's going to happen to him. He's going to say, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be arrested. I'm going to be sentenced to death. And then I'm going to die for the sins of all people. I'm the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so what does he do on this last night before he's going to die? He has his last supper with his disciples. He washes their feet. He teaches them some stuff they need to know. He shares with them words of wisdom and words of affection and words of love that he wants to share, just like if you were saying goodbye to your loved ones. And then he prays this amazing prayer over them that we saw in John 7. And now he's doing something else. He's leaving the meal and together with his 11 disciples, he is crossing a famous valley called the Kidron Valley. Now, in case you're wondering, Kidron means dark. So Kidron Valley is a dark valley. Question for today, are you going through a dark valley right now? Maybe when it comes to your family life, when it comes to your finances, when it comes to your future, when it comes to some area of your life, maybe a relationship that is really not going well right now, is it a dark valley for you today? If that is, then may you be comfortable knowing that you are not alone, that Jesus knows how you feel. In fact, in John chapter 18, Jesus is crossing the darkest valley that any one of us would cross, and he's doing it for you and for me. Now, I don't know if you know this, but the first time that the Kidron Valley is mentioned in the Bible. It's in the Old Testament. It's 2 Samuel 15. It's where there's a guy called David. He's the king of Israel. And he's actually crossing this Kidron Valley and he's weeping. He's weeping because he's just realized that his son, whom he loves, called Absalom, has conspired against him to take his life and to take his throne. And so he is weeping as he's crossing the Kidron Valley, going to the Mount of Olives. That's in 2 Samuel 15, the first time you mention the Kidron Valley. You know what the last time is that's mentioned the Kidron Valley? It's right here in John 18. It's where now Jesus who's known as the son of David and the true king of Israel. He is now going across the Kidron Valley, the same valley to the same Mount of Olives, knowing that he's going to be betrayed by his close, one of his closest disciples and someone's going to take his life. It's amazing how the Old Testament points us to the new. And see, Jesus, he crosses the Kidron Valley and where does he go? Look at verse one. It says, on the other side, there was an olive grove and he and his disciples went 
into it. So he's crossing the Kidron Valley with his disciples. They go into this place called the Mount of Olives. It's a, literally a mountain. He goes into this mountain. There is an olive grove near the top. It's called the Garden of Gethsemane. And on this mountain, Jesus would often take his disciples to pray. In fact, some of their best times were probably up on that mountain. That's the place where they hung out. That was kind of like their secret place where they would go. It was kind of like their man cave. That was, the, that was their place. But see, knowing it's the last night of Jesus' life, Jesus is not having fun on that mountain. Instead, he is pouring his heart out before the Father. He is in such stress and fear and shock at the prospect that he's going to lose his life in just a few hours. So much so that the Gospel of Luke, when it describes what's happening in Gethsemane, is that it says that Jesus is sweating blood. And for centuries, a lot of people thought, that's just stupid. That's just crazy. This just shows that you know, the Bible is just all fable. It's fiction. It's legend. Who sweats blood? But the fact is, today, doctors can confirm that there is a kind of physiological condition that you can go through when you're under extreme stress and shock and fear and trauma. It's called hematidrosis. It's where you are in such stress, such extreme shock that your sweat glands break and now you're not just sweating sweat, but you're also sweating blood. That's what's happening to Jesus. And so Jesus, he's in this extreme state of fear. Like this is the scaredest you've ever been times a hundred. And he is so scared. He is fearful. He's, he's shocked and he goes to the father and he prays. And that's what, how he deals with his stress. And there's a lesson we can learn from that as well, which is something you can write down is that great leaders deal with pressure and stress in healthy ways is that they look to God in their troubled times. Here's a question for you today. When you are extremely stressed, where do you go? Do you go to the fridge and you stress eat? Do you go to the gym to blow off some steam? Do you go to the bar to drown your sorrows? Do you go to the mall for some retail therapy? Do you go to social media for some distraction? It's not that any of these things are bad. They're not, some of these things are, can be helpful and all that stuff. But the fact is the best thing you can do as a leader is that when you go through pressure and stress, and you will, is you look to God and you seek him out and you find a healthy way to deal with your stress. And the healthiest way to do so is you look to God in prayer. The Bible says, cast your cares upon the Lord because he cares for you. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The best thing you can do in your stress is to go to God and find rest where he is. You'll be amazed what even just half an hour or an hour of honest prayer with God can do, whether it's by yourself or with others. If you come to God honestly, it's one of the best things you can do to relieve your stress. If you believe that, say amen. And see, here's the thing. We have a saying here at Thrive is that with prayer comes power. That's why we say much prayer, much power. Little prayer, little power. No prayer, no power. And see, there's a power that comes with prayer. And one of the ways that prayer is powerful is it produces something called perseverance. Prayer produces perseverance. It is so much easier to tough something out when you've prayed it out. That's what Jesus does, is that he lays down his burdens before God, he lays it before his father's feet, and in so doing, he gains a strength he didn't have before. Eventually, he comes to his father and says, Father, if it's possible, take this cup of suffering from me. I, I don't want to do this, but not my will, let yours be done. See what he's doing, he's surrendering to the will of the father. And there's a lesson in this for us, is that if you want to lead well, 
You gotta find healthy ways to deal with your stress. When you're facing a dark valley, you gotta look to God in your troubled times. Look at verse two with me right now and read it with me together. It says, now Judas who betrayed him knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the grove, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. See what's going on. See Judas once a disciple of Jesus, is now leading a band of soldiers and temple guards to go and arrest Jesus. Notice what's going on. Judas has gone from a follower of Jesus to a leader himself, but not in a good way. And that leads me to this thought. That a lot of people want to be famous. A lot of people want to be a celebrity. A lot of people want to have followers. A lot of people want to go viral. But say, you got to understand, being a leader and having lots of followers is neither here nor there. You can be a leader and you can be a very bad leader. You can have lots of followers, but have the wrong kind of followers. The question is not, am I a leader? The question is, what kind of leader are you? And if you are a leader, then what are you leading your people to? What kind of followers are you creating? It says this, is that poor leaders use power for the wrong purpose. It's all about my kingdom, my fortune, my wealth, my fame, my glory. That's what poor leaders do. It's all inward focus. It's all about me. And see, in a world where we worship fame, we worship power, is that better to, I'd say, to be alone, alone and unknown follower of Jesus than to be a famous leader who's taking people in the wrong direction. See, if you want to lead well, you need to be clear, why are you leading? Why are you in this position of leading others? See, here at Thrive, we believe that every person is not just called to be a leader, but to be an A-E-I-O-U leader. And if you know, say it with me. A stands for alive. It means we're here to worship Jesus. E stands for expectant. It means we're here to grow more like Jesus. I stands for involved. It means we're here to serve Jesus. O stands for out loud. It means we're here to lead people to Jesus in faith. And U stands for united. It means we're here to love the family Jesus. Jesus started, it's called his church. And so if you want to be any kind of leader at all for your workplace, for your family, for your team, for your school, be an A-E-I-O-U leader who's leading people to Jesus, to know him, to worship him, to serve him, to lead others to him, to love his family. Judas, he's leading people to Jesus, but it's for the, all the wrong reasons. Look at verse four. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. You know, I could imagine in the background, that while this mob and Judas, they're getting ready to arrest Jesus. I can imagine Satan in the background smirking because he's finally getting to capture and slay the son of God. And I could even see him singing the same song that we were singing just a minute ago, but with a completely different purpose, with a completely different tone. I could see him going, give me Jesus. Give me Jesus. See, he's relishing in the idea that now he can finally steal, kill, and destroy God's son. See, Jesus knew exactly what was going on. He knew exactly what was going to happen even before it happened. So before he hands himself over to this mob, Jesus says to all of them watching, he says, I am he. I am he. And he does so in a way that recalls Exodus 3 in the Old Testament, where Yahweh, God, reveals himself to Moses and says, I am who I am. I am he. And when Jesus discloses who he is, look what happens in verse 6. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Notice that. Just with the sound of Jesus' voice, 
declaring who he is. This mob draws back and falls to the ground. Now, some people, oh yeah, you know, it was dark. It's a mountain, so it's slopey. They're on a slope. And so maybe that startled them. They fell back. No, I, I believe there's more to it than that. I believe that in this moment, Jesus is revealing one more time who he is. He's revealing that he's no ordinary man. He's not an ordinary human being, but he is the son of God. And so he reveals his power and glory just for a moment to these people who are looking at him. And see, you know what? There are a couple lessons we can learn from that. The first is this. Great leaders are gentle in their use of power. See, with a word, Jesus, he could have not just caused that mob to fall back. He could have just taken them to another planet. He could just flung them across the ocean. Oh, like, you know, crouching tiger can oh, avenge. And he could have done that, but he doesn't do that. Instead, he just shows enough of his power to make them think twice. That is gentleness. See, gentleness is not weakness. Gentleness is power under control. Here's a question for you today. How gentle are you in the use of your power? When you use your power, when you use your position, do you do so in ways that are not so gentle, almost out of control? You do things that shame and humiliate and demean the people around you? Or do you, like Jesus, use your power gently, with care, with humility, in ways that serve people and lead people to where you want them to be? You're going to find this, that great leaders are gentle in the way they use their power. They don't use more force than is necessary to make their point. And that's what Jesus does. And that leads to a second lesson as well, is that God is gentle with you. God is gentle with you. See, no matter what your background is, the Bible says that every single one of us has witnessed God's power in some way. The book of Romans says that God's invisible qualities, his divine nature, his eternal power have been revealed to every single person in some way so that no one is with an excuse. So that God, in other words, the idea that, that God has somehow revealed himself to you. Maybe that's why you're even here. We've all in our own way heard God say to us, I am he, whether we want to admit it or not but it's up to you and me to decide how we're going to respond. Am I going to be a friend and follow? Am I going to be an enemy and wage war? That's the choice that every one of us has to make. Look at verse seven. It says, again, he asked them, who is it you want? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. I told you that I am he, Jesus answered. If you're looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I've not lost one of those you gave me. See, here we see Jesus's heart. His protecting, faithful, courageous shepherd's heart that's all about protecting those in his care. And so when Jesus says, let them go, he's not just talking about those 11 disciples who are with them. He has you and me in mind. Because how many know that when you read the story of Jesus' betrayal, his arrest, his sentencing, his crucifixion, that there's all sorts of people that you might be tempted to point to. Oh, it was Caiaphas and Annas, the high priests. That's their fault. It's Judas, the one who betrayed him. It's his fault. It's Pontius Pilate, the Roman governor. It's his fault. Well, you know what? The fact is, if you want to really look at who put Jesus on the cross, who's responsible for putting Jesus on the cross, at the top of the list, you have to put yourself and me. It's because our sins are what brought Jesus to the cross. It's because of us, our sins, that someone had to pay the price that we couldn't pray. And so Jesus says, you know what? Let me pay the price and let them go. And see, what's that to us? It's that great leaders use their power to serve and protect the people in their care. They don't just use it for themselves, but they use it to protect others in ways that they can't protect themselves. And that's what Jesus does. He allows himself to be captured. He allows himself to be bound so that the ones that he loves, you and me, we could go free. Don't you love the love of Jesus? Amen. You know, I remember there was one summer a few years ago 
We sent a team of young adults from Thrive to go to Tainan, Taiwan for a kid's camp where they're going to serve, they're going to you know, teach English, they're going to sing songs, going to dance with the kids, all in the hopes of sharing the love of Jesus with those kids. A few months after that trip, they came back and we heard here from Vancouver that there was an earthquake that rocked the city of Tainan where they were. And we found out through one of the team leaders, his name is Ryan, he's on staff with us here. And he was saying, uh, JB, I don't know if you know this, but there was an earthquake in Tainan and two of the boys that were in the camp, they died in the earthquake. And this is eight years old, 11 years old. And we were shocked. And you know, like here we, here we are, like Ryan and I were two grown men and we're crying in my office as we're learning that what happened was that this, these two little boys, eight and 11, they were in their apartment building when the earthquake happened and the building collapsed. But what touched me the most was to find out what happened when they found those two boys. Do you know how they found those two boys? When they found the two boys, they weren't alone. Their mom was holding them close to her holding them both this way, and they all died in the earthquake. But she was doing everything she could to protect her little ones because that's what parents do. You know, as parents, you know, there are dangers that we want to protect our kids from, and that's what she was doing. And see, one of the things, as, as shocking as it was, as almost like, God, how could this happen? There was also this comfort for us to know that during that camp, those two boys got to learn about Jesus, about his love for him. They opened, I believe, their hearts to Jesus. And so though their mom wasn't able to protect them from the earthquake, the kind of protection that they have that is greater than that is the protection Jesus gives them such that they're in heaven today with him, happier, healthier, safer than they could ever be. Because that's the kind of protection Jesus gives. It's not just for a moment. It's not just for an instant. It's not just for a season. It's not just for a tragedy. It's not just for an earthquake. It's for forever. Your sins are forgiven. You have a home in heaven such that when you die, you don't leave home. You go home because that's God's love for you and for me. Come on, give God some praise in this place. And you see, as, as parents, parents, of course, you know this, is that there are so many dangers that we might worry about, so many dangers that we want to protect our kids from, but the only person who can truly protect them in the end, our kids, his name is Jesus. Amen. And you need to lead your kids to that protection more than anything else. Look at verse 10. It says, then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? See what's going on. See, Peter is Jesus' most passionate disciple, but he still doesn't really get what's going on. He still doesn't get this idea that Jesus has to die, that he has to be arrested, he has to be handed over, he has to, he has to die for people's sins. He still doesn't get it. And so he grabs a sword, which really is more like a dagger, it's a short little sword. And he takes the sword and he just finds the first person he can see and he cuts the ear. He cuts the ear of a guy called Malchus, who's the high priest servant. And he's like, ah! And there's an ear on the ground. You know, one of the gospels says that Jesus helps to heal the ear. But have you ever done that before? Not cut off someone's ear, but fight against the will of God. Have you ever done that before? It's where, you know, I, I remember, you know, when, when Pastor Shar and I, when, when we just got married, we moved to Taiwan and we we're going to spend maybe a year there. We're three months into our time in Taiwan. I got this job offer to come back to Vancouver 
and to work at a really lucrative job, a really comfortable job. And I thought, oh man, this is something I've always wanted to do. This is such a great opportunity. I can make so much more money here in Vancouver than I ever could in Taiwan. Oh, I want to take it. But whenever Pastor Shar and I would go to God in prayer about it, whether it's together or me on my own, I would always sense God say strongly, now is not the time to go back to Vancouver. Now's not the time to go back. And I couldn't understand. I didn't get it. I don't know why. It's like, it doesn't make any sense. It makes so much sense to go back. Why not go back now? But whenever I pray, I had no peace about going back, but had a lot of peace about staying. But how many know that sometimes you can have peace about the direction God wants you to go in and still you can fight against it? You can still be, oh, but I still don't want that. And, and you know, I started to find all these different ways to kind of see if I could do the best of both worlds. You know, okay, yeah, fine, I'll stay here, but maybe somehow I'll, I'll try to do the job at the same time. And that just led to a lot of frustration and complications and trouble. I was just making things worse, not better. But I, it's just, I didn't understand why stay, why stay. But you know, looking back, I can say that God really had a better way. Because, you know, had we not stayed we wouldn't have been connected with this really cool church and got to be part of a church plant team that planted you know, a church in downtown Taipei. And had we not done that, we wouldn't have been sent back here to Vancouver and to plant Thrive Church. And we wouldn't be here with all of you today. God had a better plan and a better way than my plan and my way. If you believe that, say amen. amen. But see, here's the thing. If, if I had to keep, if I kept fighting that, if I kept on, you know what, no, 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 I won't accept, I won't do it, I keep on doing my own thing, I would have missed the greater thing that God wanted. How about you? Are you fighting against the will of God in your life? Are you in a situation today where you know deep down what God wants you to do, but you keep fighting it? Maybe there's a decision that God wants you to make, but you keep not making it. There's a direction God wants you to take, but you still keep not taking it. You, you, there's a relationship that you know is maybe not the best thing for you, but you keep on hanging on to it. You know, you, there's maybe a habit that God wants you to change, but you don't do anything about it. Maybe there's a situation that God wants you just to accept and surrender, but you still keep refusing to accept it in your heart. See, you know what God wants you to do, but you're fighting against it. If that's you, then you're like Peter in John 18. It's like you're taking a sword and you're cutting off someone's ear and you're fighting against the will of God. And instead of making things better, what are you doing? You're making things harder for everyone. You're causing more pain and trouble for yourself and those around you. What's the lesson here? Is that great leaders courageously submit to God's will. Eve means going through trouble or pain. You know, as much as Jesus didn't want to die, as much as he was scared at the fact of losing his life, he would wrestle with his father on that issue and he wouldn't let it go. And that's one of the best tips I can give you. If you find that you know what God wants you to do, but you in your heart kind of are just, you know what? One of the best things you can do is wrestle with God on it. Don't run away from God like Jonah did, but wrestle with God, bring it to God, run to God and go, God, I've got an issue with this. God, I, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me. God, I don't agree. God, I, I know you're Lord. I know you're King. I know it's not about me. It's about you, but I, I'm having trouble with this. But you wrestle with God, just like Jesus wrestled in Gethsemane with God until there was peace about the direction that he was supposed to take. I encourage you to do the same thing. Maybe you and your spouse, you guys go like this on a big issue in your life and you're just always fighting about it. You're never coming to agreement. What you encourage you to do, don't just wrestle with one another, wrestle with God. Wrestle together until there's peace in the issue. That's what Jesus did. At the end of it all, he was able to say, not my will, but yours be done. I just trust that as I submit to the will of my father, that God has a better timing. God has a better plan than my timing and my plan. If you believe that, say amen. amen. See, instead of fighting God's will, submit to God's will.
Believe that God's timing and God's plan are better than your timing and plan. There's going to be so much more peace when you do that. You're going to be launched into the destiny that God has for you if you do, even if it's hard, even if there's a trial that God wants you to go through in the time being, don't find a way to run away from it. Don't find a wrong way to escape it, but instead let the season run its course because you know God is using it for good in the end. Praise God. Verse 12, what does it say? It says, then the detachment of soldiers with its commander and the Jewish officials arrested Jesus. They bound him and brought him first to Annas, who was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, the high priest that year. See, so John, he's going to start to report a series of interrogations, of proceedings, of trials that Jesus is going to go through over the course of the next few hours. First, he goes to a guy called Annas, who used to be the high priest of the land. You know, very powerful priest. But then the Roman government is in control. They take Annas off of that position of high priest. And Annas, he still retains his power because his sons and his son-in-law, they're all priests. And so each of them becomes a high priest. And so many people still kind of saw Annas as the godfather of high priests. He's like, you know, he's still the man. He's still, and so this is the guy that Jesus is first brought to. His name is Annas the high priest. And look what happens. It says verse 19. Meanwhile, the high priest, that's Annas, questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. I've spoken openly to the world, Jesus replied. I always taught in synagogues or at the temple where all the Jews come together. I said nothing in secret. Why question me? Ask those who heard me. Surely they know what I said. When Jesus said this, one of the officials nearby struck him in the face. Is this the way you answer the high priest, he demanded? Now, this official strikes Jesus in the face. Have you been struck in the face before? It's a super humiliating thing when you're struck in the face, in front of people especially. Now, keep this in mind. Jesus is bound He's tied up. Like Samson in the Old Testament, Jesus could have easily just kind of broken the cords that bound him and gone completely Golden State Warriors on that official's Boston Celtics, if you know what I mean. Completely just destroyed them, right? But he doesn't do that. What does he do instead? Look at verse 23 and how Jesus responds. It says this, if I said something wrong, Jesus replied, testify as to what is wrong. But if I spoke the truth, why did you strike me? So how does Jesus respond? He's struck in the face. He's humiliated that way. Jesus, what does he do? He doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't retaliate. Instead, Jesus calls out this official on his unjust behavior. He says, what is so wrong about what I just said? If I didn't say anything wrong, why in the world did you just strike me right now? See, in the end, it's the official who ends up looking really foolish. And there's a lesson for us today, is that great leaders keep their composure when they're under pressure. Let me ask you a question today. How composed are you when you're under pressure? When you're feeling the stress, when you're in a bad mood, when people are saying stuff and it bothers you, or things don't go your way and you're feeling the pressure, how composed are you? Do you panic? Do you start to play the blame game? Do you start to get mad, lose your temper? Or are you like Jesus and you keep your composure? You know, many years ago, um, about 15 years ago, and it used to be that when I share this story, I'd say, oh, this guy that I know, but I, I need to be honest with you, it's me, is that uh, 15 years ago, I, I was late for a meeting, and uh, I woke up late, which is not a usual thing, but I woke up late, I was late for the meeting, I was like, oh my goodness, I'm late for the meeting! And, and then so I, I'm, like, I'm, I'm living in an apartment at that time with Pastor Shar, and, and you know, I, I'm, I'm rushing to the elevator. I've got the keys in my hand. I'm the only one in the elevator. I'm so frustrated at myself. You know what I do? Is that in the stress and the pressure, I took my keys, my wad of keys, and I threw it on the floor. And splash. And you know what happened? Is that I was just trying to let out some frustration. You know what happened? The fob that you used to open the garage gate, 
And now I'm not just late for the meeting. I can't even get out of my own house. I'm like, oh my goodness, that was stupid. And you know what? That was a day when I learned I need to keep my composure under pressure. How good are you at keeping your composure under pressure? See, here are a few tips if you have some issues there. Number one, when you're under pressure, don't feel the need to speak right away. You will be tempted to do so. You'll be tempted to lash out and go, you, 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 but you ought to, you ought, you ought to be careful with that. Instead, take a deep breath. Can anyone take a deep breath with me right now? Breathe in, breathe out. <sighs> right? And you want to hold your tongue and think about your next step. You know, sometimes small group leaders will come to me and go, hey, JB, like, you know, when we're doing discussion in small group, like, we'll ask the question, and then there's like this silence, this awkward silence, and we're like, what do we do? What do we do? I'm like, don't worry, all right? Sometimes silence is good. Don't feel, oh, there's silence, there's two seconds of silence. Oh, oh in my experience, uh, I think that, it, don't, don't do that. Don't do it. Instead, let the silence be there because good leaders know when to remain silent and when to speak up. Amen. Here's another one. Believe that God is with you and he's in control. He's working everything out for good. You are not alone. Turn your name and say, you are not alone. You are not alone in the mess that you might find yourself in. God is working it out for his glory. Another one is be slow to judge and quick to understand. You know, in our today's cancel culture where we are so, you know, inclined to judge before we understand. Like the moment someone says something that we think we don't agree with, the moment we say someone says something that, you know, that, that, that offends us, we do that. What we do, we cut them off. We cancel them out. We put a label on them, go, you're a bigot, you're a hater. And then we think that because we put a label on them, it gives us a convenient excuse to not have to listen to them anymore. Oh yeah, he's just a bigot. He's just a hater. So I'm not going to bother trying to listen to what he has to say. I'm not going to bother trying to understand where he's coming from. I'm just going to label him. I'm going to cancel him. I'm going to cut him off. And when we do that, that's like Peter cutting off an ear, except you're not cutting off your, your opponent's ear. You're, you're cutting off your own ear because you've stopped listening. And see, that's what we do when we don't respond the right way under pressure, is that we're quick to judge, slow to understand. Be like Jesus. Be slow to judge, be quick to understand. Don't jump to conclusions, but seek to understand the situation. Number four, be wise with your words. Jesus, he says, be shrewd as snakes and innocent as doves. And he practiced what he preached. Man, he was so gentle and so self-controlled. He never showed off when he spoke, but he would just do it to serve his listeners. He always spoke with truth. In the same way, how many know that your leadership is like my phone right here? Your leadership is voice activated. Your leadership so much depends on the words that you speak. So watch your words carefully. Verse 24, then Annas sent him still bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Then verse 28, then the Jews led Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor, that's Pontius Pilate. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanness, the Jews, that is the chief priests and the Pharisees, did not enter the palace. They wanted to be able to eat the Passover. See what's going on. The chief priests, the Pharisees, they want Jesus killed. But because Jerusalem is under Roman rule, Roman occupation, no one has the legal right to execute anyone except the Roman government. And so what do the chief priests and the Pharisees do? They take Jesus and they give him to Pontius Pilate. He's the Roman governor. He has the right to execute. And so they put him into the palace of the Roman governor, but they stay outside. Why? Why don't they go in? It's because they had this little religious rule, which says that if a Jew walks into the house of a non-Jew, of a Gentile, 
then that Jew is now unclean and cannot eat the Passover. And so because we cannot not eat the Passover, we have to eat the Passover. They're like, okay, let's send Jesus into the Pontius Pilate and we will talk to Pilate from outside. And we're getting more into that next week. But see, they're talking to him outside. They see, guess what's going on? Do you see the kind of the irony in all of this? Is that the chief priests, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, they are going out of their way to be ceremonially clean so that they can eat their Passover feast all the while they're manipulating the legal system so that they can kill a man who was innocent. Isn't that just like kind of like, like neither here nor there, kind of like, what? It's like, you're so focused on these little rules that you want to obey, and yet you're disobeying, you're violating the biggest commands of all, like you're gonna murder someone, you're gonna lie, you're gonna do all those things. And see, that's the danger of being religious, but not really having Jesus. You say, you become so focused on these little things, these little rules that you miss God and even kill God in the process. But see, what the chief priests and the Pharisees were doing is what some people would call majoring in the minor, minoring in the major. In other words, you put so much of your focus, the great majority of your time, your energy is focused on little things, little things that don't really matter. But then the minority of your time is focused on the stuff that really does matter. You're majoring in the minor, you're minoring in the major. Are you doing that today? Are you majoring in the minor and minoring in the major? See, what's the lesson in all of that for us is that great leaders keep their eyes on the big picture. Is that keeping your eyes on the big picture is not just about keeping the vision in mind, got to do that, but even more, it's about not losing sight of the most important things not losing sight of your integrity, not losing sight of the principles that guard your life, not losing sight of what values you hold dear to yourself. It's about hanging on to what's most important to you. It's about not losing sight of the big picture. You're gonna find this, that the best leaders, they're not just smart, they're not just talented, they're not just you know confident or decisive or secure, whatever you wanna call a great leader, but a great leader has integrity. A great leader has this consistency, this principledness about them, whether they're in public or in private, where they live to please God, no matter whether people see or people don't see. And see, here's a question for you today as we end today. Is there an area of your life today where the way you live, there's a bit of an inconsistency? It's like the way you live is not really consistent with what you say you believe, or the way you live is not really that consistent with what you teach your kids or the way you're living right now. Maybe there's an area of your life where it's not really consistent with your profession of faith in Jesus. And see, if that's you, then you're not alone. In fact, we all have inconsistencies. And the thing to do is not to run away from God, but the thing to do is to go to God and say, God, I confess I haven't been living the way that I should. Have mercy on me, help me, empower to me to live your way. If you believe that, say amen. As we close today, I just want to ask you to do this. Is, would you all stand as we respond to God today? Because today we've been learning six ways that Jesus led that would be wise for us to do the same in our leadership, because you are a leader as well. Would you look at these six with me once again? What did we learn today? Six ways to lead like Jesus. Number one, find healthy ways to deal with your stress. Look to God in your troubled times. Number two, be gentle in how you use your power. Number three, use your influence to serve and protect others. Don't do it for yourself, do it for them. Number four, courageously submit to God's will, even if it's painful. Believe that his time and his way are better than your time and your way. Number five, keep your composure when you're under pressure. And number six, keep your eyes on the big picture. Aim to do everything with integrity, with consistency. There's one more thing that Jesus did 
to show just how great a leader he is. But that's not the thing that I want you to try to do yourself as well. These six things, these are all good things to copy, all good things to emulate. But this one other thing that Jesus did, you don't need to do it. In fact, I wouldn't consider you to be wise to do so. And that is this, Jesus died on the cross for our sins, for all of our inconsistencies. And so if you're here today and you realize that there's some inconsistency in your life, there's maybe a little bit of hypocrisy in your life yourself, then guess what? You're not alone, but that's why Jesus died. And that's why we need a savior. It's because I'm as inconsistent as they come, but God, he had mercy on me by sending Jesus Christ to die for my sins when no ransom I could pay could ever be enough. Jesus came and he said, let him go. I'm gonna pay it for him. Praise God. When we were full of inconsistencies, Jesus, the one consistent one, he came and he did what no one else could do. He became our Passover lamb and he died on the cross for our sins. Don't you love Jesus in this place? Will you give God some praise because of Jesus? And in light of what Jesus Christ has done, the question is, what are you gonna do about it? Are you gonna receive what Jesus has done? Are you gonna receive him? Or are you gonna say, yeah, I'll just do my own thing. Yeah, I'll just work on it myself. You can't. The only way is Jesus. He's the one thing. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just wanna give this, give this time for you to respond to God both online and on site, I just encourage you to bow your heads because this is a moment between you and God. And if you're here and you're listening to this message and you realize that there's some inconsistencies in your life that you need God's forgiveness for, that there's maybe some stuff that you're not proud of doing that you realize now is stuff that separates us from the presence of God and you want that not to be in the way anymore and you want God to forgive your sins. If that's you, then I'm here to let you know God loves you. That's why he sent Jesus for you. Forgiveness isn't cheap, but it's free because it's paid for by Jesus' precious blood. And if you want to receive that today, if you want to receive God's forgiveness today, then I'm gonna encourage you to pray a prayer with me right now. And if that's you, don't, don't worry about your neighbor because it doesn't concern them. Why don't you just lift your hand to God right now? It's between you and God right now. Online family, you can do the same. Lift up your hand to God right now. And we're gonna pray a prayer in just a second. Just keep your hands high. Our team might come over to you and give you a little card with a prayer on it that we're gonna pray in just a second together. And just so you're not alone, I'm gonna pray that prayer with you as well. We're all going to. And maybe you're watching online. What you can do is you can click the link that's in your chat room. It'll take you to this page with the same prayer on it that you can pray with us today. And this is our way of coming clean before God and saying, God, I need you. Jesus, I need your forgiveness. I ask for it today. If that's you, why don't you lift your hand to God, click that link, scan that QR code online family. And uh, we're just gonna pray this prayer together right now. Would you pray this with me? And say, dear Jesus, thank you that because you love me, you died on the cross to pay for my sins. You rose again to give me life. Today, I open up my heart and I ask you, please forgive me of all my sins and fill me with your Holy Spirit. I place my trust, not in what I do, but in what you've done for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Hey, if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, then according to the Bible, you are forgiven of your sins. You're a child of God. 
You're a citizen of heaven. You have a relationship with God, not based on what you do, but based on who Jesus is and what Jesus did for you. And so a huge congratulations to you. We've got some gifts we want to give to you. If you want to take that card in your hand and bring it to the Welcome Center, or if you're online, you can go to the bottom of the page that you just prayed that prayer on. We've got some gifts that we'd love to give you to congratulate you on this decision to ask Jesus into your life today. On top of that, we encourage you to keep coming to church because every child needs a family to grow up in. We'd love to be your spiritual family here at Thrive. And on top of that, we encourage you to get baptized. Everyone say baptism. Baptism is just a simple way to say, I thank Jesus for dying on the cross for me, and I believe in him. Encourage you to go to mythrive.info, press the baptism button for more info on baptism today. Praise God. Can we give God a big hand today in this place together? Amen. Hello, everyone. Happy Father's Day. Welcome to Thrive Church. I hope you have an amazing time at Thrive today. My name is Marizal and I will spend a few minutes to go through some announcements with you and what's coming up here at Thrive. If this is your first time visiting us, we would love to connect with you. We want to give you a Thrive stainless steel water bottle to thank you for spending your time with us. Simply visit mythrive.info and click New to Thrive or text New to 604-285-5770. We will mail the water bottle straight to your mailing address. If you're on-site with us at LaPont Place, we're so honored you're here. You can pick up your gifts at the Welcome Center by the Exodore after the service. For all the parents here at Thrive, if you have any children ages 3 to 9, we're hosting our very first Thrive Kids BBS Summer Camp called Make Wave from August 2nd to August 5th. Join us for an exciting week of games, activities and crafts. Your kids will also learn how they can make a positive impact and share God's love with the people around them. For more information or to sign up, visit mythrive.info. Last but not least, if you haven't already, we want to encourage you to get plugged in at Thrive by joining a small group or by being part of a serving team. This is the best way to meet new friends and to develop meaningful relationships with other Thrivers. To sign up, visit mythrive.info. That is all for the announcements today. Don't forget to give your tithes and offerings online at mythrive.info. We look forward to seeing you again next Sunday. Stay blessed.